You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. We're bringing you yet another update on wetland habitat conditions from the Canadian prairies. This time, a focused look at conditions in a small region in southwestern Manitoba. And our guest today brings with him some very unique and long-term insights into habitat conditions, habitat change, and population changes in this region. Quite frankly, because he's been visiting this area and collecting data for somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 years in this region. He's another in a long line of very special guests, a distinguished scholar in his own right, and has contributed as much to the North American Waterfowl Management Plan and waterfowl conservation in North America as probably anyone that we can bring on to this podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Mike Anderson, Emeritus Scientist with Ducks Unlimited Canada's Institute for Wetland and Waterfowl Research, and my friend. Mike, welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. Thank you, Mike. Glad to be here. As I mentioned, we're going to take advantage of the time that you spend a field and have spent a field for about you know, some portion of, of 40 years or so. You can correct me on the exact details of that, but you've been collecting data on canvasbacks in this region of southwestern Manitoba near a small town called Minnedosa for quite some time, started as part of your your graduate research, and you've continued that in, in some way pretty much every year since. Uh, now, I like I do with every host or every guest, I, I want to, to kind of give an introduction of that person and what they've done, their career path, but for you, it could take a little while, and we want to try to keep this up this particular episode fairly short, <laughs> we're going to have you back on some subsequent episodes to talk about canvasbacks and some some other aspects of, of canvasback ecology. Uh, so we'll, we'll wait and do that more extended introduction of your career, your professional accomplishments at that time. But for for right now, let's let's get right into the topic of habitat conditions in southwestern Manitoba. You know, this is it's a portion of the prairie pothole region, prairie parkland region. I'll let you kind of describe the, the topography and habitat there. Uh, that it's it's not in the heart of what we call the duck factory, but it nevertheless is an important area that is surveyed each year with the during the breeding population uh, survey. Of course, it's not being oh, conducted. Oh come on! What do you what do you mean not in the heart? <laughs> well, okay, so you come can on. correct me. You can correct me on this. It it holds a very special well, place in my heart and everyone else that, that's familiar with waterfowl. There's no doubt about that. So, but anyway, so correct me on right. this. Well, no, I mean it's 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 kind of on the leading edge of the prairie pothole region, but. Um, Minnedosa is situated in something called the Newdale Plain, which is a glacial formation in southwestern Manitoba, about 4,000 square miles in size. That is hummocky terrain with, with lots of ponds. One of the things that's a little bit unique about it is that a lot of this area is what we call perched topography, which means that the potholes uh, are in an undulating landscape where, thankfully, it's been uh, 
not easy to drain the landscape completely. There's not a general slope. And although there's been a lot of wetland consolidation, there's still a lot of potholes in this habitat. Um, it was historically prairie, except for in the, uh, in the, along their watercourses, river valleys, creeks, and so on, when the first uh, European explorers saw it. Um, but with the elimination of fire and the bison, it took its present form as Aspen Parkland, which is a, a mixture of, of little aspen uh, clumps and a few other tree species with uh, grassland and, and potholes. Uh, now, of course, it is primarily um, agriculture, mostly small grain farming, oilseed farming, although there is some grazing in the area. But there's still a fairly high density of, of, of wetlands and, uh, and good uh, duck populations. It came to be a prominent place for waterfowl research for a couple of reasons. It was within fairly easy striking distance, about two and a half hours west of the Delta Waterfowl Research Station, and also close to North Dakota, where a lot of Fish and Wildlife Service people with an interest in waterfowl were based. And so there's a long history of student-led research uh, through Delta Waterfowl in this area, beginning with Alex Zubin in the mid-1950s and continuing through uh, today. And that's what brought me to Minidosa uh, initially in 1972, uh, which is yeah, 48 years ago, and, uh, and subsequently back between 75 and 90, where I did work on canvasbacks, and I've continued to uh, survey birds uh, in the area since. The survey routes we run were actually set up by a man named Jerry Stout, who worked with the Fish and Wildlife Service. And Jerry started running Transex uh, for cans and redheads in this area in 1961. Continued that work to 1972. It was taken over and expanded by David Trauger and Jerry Suri with the Northern Prairie Wildlife Research Center in Jamestown. And I came on the scene at that point. And uh, there's been pretty much continuous research on cans and redheads in this area by various students and various professionals uh, for a very long time. So we know a lot about the area and a lot about the birds that are here. Uh, the area that, that I visit every year is about 100, 120 square miles, pretty much straight south of Minidosa, which is a small farm service community about 30 miles north of Brandon. Some of our, some of our listeners may have uh, been through Brandon and the Trans-Canada Highway west of Winnipeg. So that's kind of the, the place where the snapshot um, is taken uh, every year. I, I won't talk a lot about the surveys. We'll probably do that another time. But it does involve crisscrossing uh, the area on grid roads and, and some sketchier kind of prairie trails. Anyway, water conditions. As much as anything else, the amount of water on the, on the prairies and how that relates to the vegetation that's there uh, is a major determining factor in, in the breeding effort of waterfowl uh, in the spring. And this year, I don't know, I mean, on a scale of one to 10, where one is, oh no, don't talk to me about it, and 10 is, is major good, I'd give us about a six or a seven, uh, which is much improved over last year. In 2019, I, uh, I claimed that it was more like a two or three. So it's much improved. 
Um, oh wow! And and by that I'm thinking I'm thinking mostly from standpoint of overwater nesting ducks, diving ducks, because that's kind of been my my long term research focus. And what we're looking for there is is you know little little semi permanent ponds, little cattail bulrush ponds where the water is high enough that it goes right through from the middle of the basin right through that cattail edge and up into the adjacent uh, grass vegetation just beyond the cattail, which means the, the cattail is all flooded, which means good nesting conditions for canvasbacks, redheads. Um, a lot of mallards are nesting over water in this country now because they've been more successful than they are on, on, on the uplands. Um, number of different ducks, ringneck ducks, ruddy ducks, coots, greaves, lots of things. Uh, Mike, let me let me interrupt you there. Uh, we have a fairly diverse listenership, and so I want to make make certain that we're appropriately explaining to people what we mean by overwater nesting. And yeah, I would imagine there are some listeners that don't realize that exactly what you're talking about is the fact that some species of ducks, notably some of the divers, redhead canvasbacks, will actually construct the nests in the cattail, in the vegetation, over water, as you described. What's the, what, so just describe that in a bit more detail, and what are the other species that are known for that overwater nesting uh, habit? Yeah, they'll, they'll take advantage of residual cover from the previous year. So cattail, bulrush, sometimes white-top grass, uh, but things that's, that still stand in the spring after snowmelt. And they'll look for a, a fairly dense chunk of, of vegetation but that still has water underneath it, maybe a, maybe a, you know, a foot to two, two and a half feet of water under it. And they begin by building a platform, breaking off some vegetation and building a little platform that might look like a tiny little muskrat house or a little muskrat feeding platform. And they keep taking vegetation and kind of weaving it in and building up a, a platform that they can nest on. One of the interesting things about waterfowl 140 species all over the world, and none of them pick up nest material in their bills and swim with it anywhere. So they build a nest out of things that's right near at hand, things they can reach. Coots, greaves, things like that, they all grab grab a piece of cattail and they'll swim, you know, 40 meters and put it into their nest. But ducks don't do that. They just work with what's there, which is a weird thing. But anyway, um, they nest over water probably for a couple of reasons. One is they avoid a number of predators that do plague birds that nest on the ground. Uh, skunks don't like getting their feet wet. Fox don't like getting their feet wet. Coyotes will paddle in a little bit, but the main things that will come out and eat a, a diving duck nest in deep water are raccoons and, uh, and mink, and of course, ravens and, and, uh, and crows and things like that. But they avoid a whole bunch of predators by nesting over water. Also, Diving ducks, as most people know, aren't very good on land. They don't move very well. Their feet are set way back on their bodies to help make them efficient divers. Um, so they don't they don't walk all that well on dry land. So nesting in the water uh, in the ponds uh, avoids having to make any kind of any kind of long movement uh, with a brood over dry land. So anyway, they nest uh, they nest there. One of the things that surprises a lot of people who I've had out and, and look at these things is that you can get a, a, a canvasback hen who spends most of her life away from the breeding grounds on big water. And we're 
talking about the Mississippi River. We're talking about Chesapeake Bay, Catahoula Lake, mm-hmm. um, you know, Lake Lake um, Long Point. I mean, these are big water birds, uh, but they come into the pothole countries and, and they nest in a in a tenth of an acre cattail pond, where there's where it just you just people who know these birds from other places are amazed that that's where they end up nesting. But anyway, they do well there in these little these little flooded ponds. So back to back to the issue about the conditions. Most of the good potential nesting ponds are well flooded this year. Another thing that that goes along with that is that the shallow, more seasonal ponds, ponds that typically lose water by midsummer, and typically don't have a lot of residual emergent vegetation, but have just some grass and sedges and so on. They're well flooded this year too. And as I'm sure many of your listeners know, those are important uh, feeding areas for all kinds of ducks, not not so much the divers, but but for the puddle ducks who uh, who enjoy taking advantage of the of the insect life, the invertebrates that kind of spring back to life when those shallowly flooded ponds warm up in the spring. And those are in, in pretty good shape this year, much better than they've been for the last couple of years. And uh, and the birds are the birds seem to be responding to that. So. I think we can we can look at uh, at this area of Manitoba at least and feel optimistic about what uh, what might happen in terms of a breeding season this year. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Before we started recording, you and I were talking and I said, you know, I'm going to, one of my biggest challenges on this particular episode is to resist the urge to ask you all these questions that would take us down a detour and that would lengthen this episode. <laughs> so I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to be disciplined here and not ask you about what you're seeing, long-term trends with respect to duck numbers and so forth. We'll save that for a, for a later episode. Uh, let me just ask you about sort of how uh, how far have you traveled in southwestern Manitoba there, and or do you see a transition in those wetland conditions as you get out from Minnedosa? Uh, I haven't been around a lot, frankly. You know, with everybody kind of holding up at home, and and uh, I'm old enough now that I'm in one of those high risk categories. Uh, I haven't been out much. Uh, my youngest son and I did go over and, and run those those transects and uh, spent some time kicking around a, a little a little beyond the the Minnedosa area and the direct line between Winnipeg and and Minnedosa. Just to the just to the east, um, there's reasonable water, not quite as good. It starts to run out, and you get down, of course, off the uh, the pothole terrain and down into the the old lake basin of Lake Agassiz, and it's pretty flat, and there's not much there. Conditions from what I've talked to people around southern Manitoba, I think the pothole country to the west and the north of Minnedosa is pretty good. And so the parkland area in general in Manitoba seems to be in, in similar shape to what I described for uh, Minnedosa. As you get further south and west, down to the extreme southwest corner, and you're into more uh, mixed grass prairie and, and getting kind of out of the Aspen Parkland zone. Um, it's a little drier down there. 
So I think there seems to be a bit of a gradation from southwest to northeast, but but in general, southwestern Manitoba is in in much better condition than it was a year ago. Uh, we had enough snow and a few rains this this spring that have helped maintain that. The only caveat I'd offer is that uh, it's a late spring here. Um, birds were late in arriving, and the old duck biologists will tell you that that late springs are seldom as productive as early springs just because birds get started a little a little later so it's things are things are running a little behind the normal calendar for ducks this time of year but i don't think uh, i don't think seriously so we're we're uh, uh, there's birds obviously on on nests and uh, you see by the preponderance of lone males waiting for their hens versus pairs on ponds right now that there's a good nesting effort underway there are good numbers of mallards in the area. They look to be well underway. Um, lots of redheads, more redheads than cans. That's a story for another day. Uh, lots of blueing teal, lots of gadwall, shovelers, a paucity of pintails and widgeon, but I'm told by other people that uh, there are more pintails showing up uh, to the west, not that far west of of the Minidosa area. But yeah, the trends, the trends in duck numbers are a more complicated topic for, for another day. But I, I think things look quite normal um, in terms of uh, the progress of things and, and numbers of birds um, in, in that old study area. And so I, I'm cautiously optimistic. Mike, I appreciate that information. And the, the way you described conditions kind of grading um, as you go farther west is consistent with, with our conversation with Kelly Rempel uh, that we had last week. At that time of our, con- of our conversation with Kelly, he mentioned that in the forecast, there were a couple of days of rain. Do you know, uh, I guess this would have been, we're recording this on May 28th, and so he would have been speaking about this past weekend. Did much of that rain materialize that uh, that he might have been talking about? It was spotty. It, it didn't turn into a big general rain. It was, it hit some areas and, and not and not others. Um, so I don't think it was as big an event as perhaps uh, uh, the duck folks were, were hoping for. But, you know, everything, everything helps. Yep, for sure. Um, one thing that I did want to kind of amplify a little bit with respect to our conversation, uh, the brief mention of overwater nesting ducks, and we we're talking about those kind of wetland conditions. Um, those are more of the semi-permanent and permanent type wetlands as opposed to the ephemeral and temporary wetlands that you that you also talked about. So the is, is it a fair characterization, Mike, to say that from year to year, the wetland conditions for canvasbacks, redheads, those that are overwater nesting, except when we're in extreme drought, there uh, that variation is a little less than what we would see for the wetland conditions for uh, some of the more upland nesting species that, that would take more advantage of those temporary and ephemeral wetlands? I don't know. The nest success of birds that nest over water is, is really highly variable from year to year. And, and that depends on probably more than anything else on access to those nests by a suite of, suite of predators that are out there. But it may also reflect availability of food for the birds pre-nesting too. But over a long-term, oh, this is now stretching to something like 30 plus years where we have nest success data for cans and redheads uh, in this area. We've seen nest success as low as zero and as high as 76%. That 
is far higher and quite a bit lower than the variation you typically see in, in dabbling ducks who are, who are in fact, you know, more likely to bounce around in that kind of 10 to 20% sort of range. So they go through extreme variation and, and I think it has a lot to do with, with what in fact limits their numbers in, in this pothole habitat from, from over, you know, over the long term. You know, when you're, you're right about the more variable conditions in the shallower wetlands, I think what happens there is that is you just get different settling rates. You get, you get birds deciding not to settle where it's dry and moving on to places where conditions are better. Blueing teal notoriously do that, right? People have tried to mark blueing teal and, and see them on the breeding grounds again, and they just they just keep moving. They find water, good water, and that's where they end up breeding. Some of these divers are much more likely to home back to the same place year after year. So I think birds respond in different ways to the varying conditions. Some, uh, you know, in terms of where they settle and, and how much reproductive effort they make when they settle there. Well, I better be careful. We're starting to get off into a deeper discussion on reproductive ecology and life history strategies of waterfowl, and uh, we need to keep keep this one short here. So, Mike, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your time with us, sharing your observations from the field. Any any final words with respect to what you saw? I think most people, uh, in the absence of more complete data set from the the, what we would traditionally get from the breeding population population survey, will be happy with the report of a six from southwestern Manitoba on a scale of, you know, one to 10 or zero to 10. But any final words uh, with respect to your observations this year? Well, I'm, I'm, no, I just share your regret that the big surveys aren't happening. That's, that's a shame. I understand why that isn't, why they aren't going forward, but uh, we'll certainly miss having that information. I just say from, from everybody I've talked to and things I've heard from all over the prairie pothole region, uh, it's clearly not a disastrous year. Uh, it's clearly not a monumentally amazing, spectacular year, but we're probably overall going to be somewhere in the range of, of, of normal, which I think, you know, that's a good thing. It, it, it doesn't suggest that we're going to face a, a bunch of management decisions um, uh, with knowledge that things are really bad or, or really outstanding, they're probably just kind of average. And, and so steady as she goes probably is a pretty good way to be thinking about, uh, uh, thinking about the fall. Very good advice. And I'm sure we'll have a lot of conversations uh, between now and the fall on how uh, we're talking about how wetland conditions, population levels in the spring are just just a couple of the ingredients that will determine how many birds come south in the fall and how many actually uh, people see in front of their blinds uh, in the in the fall and winter. Tell you what, after being cooped up at home for a uh, better part of a couple of months, to get out there and spend three days bumping around the pothole country Counting ducks, looking at birds, taking pictures, talking to a few biologists that I bump into. It's good for the soul. And I strongly urge people to uh, to be smart, but to get out and enjoy the outdoors. Uh, it, it really does help dramatically with your mental well-being this time of year. Outstanding advice, Mike, and I echo it completely. Thank you so much for your time, Mike, uh, and sharing your expertise with us. It's good to catch up with you. Yeah, happy to do it. Thanks, Mike. A special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Dr. Mike Anderson. 
Emeritus Scientist with Ducks Unlimited Canada's Institute for Wetlands and Waterfowl Research. We appreciate his insight on wetland conditions in southwestern Manitoba. As always, we thank our producer, Clay Baird, for the great work that he does in editing the podcast and getting them out to you. And of course, our listeners, you're the most important part of this effort. We thank you for your time and spending it with us. And we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.